as I was just thinking about what to share,、uh, I was remembering a couple months ago when I was sharing from the Book of Acts, and so I kind of went back, and then the Lord has been. Just working in my life and teaching me some lessons, and so I ended up landing in the book of John, which the last chapter of the book book of John has been speaking to me recently. And so I'm going to begin by reading from John chapter 21, and then we'll flip over to the book of Acts chapter four. John 21. After these things, Jesus showed himself to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and in this way he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, "I'm going fishing." They said to him, "We're going with you also." And they went out, and immediately got into the boat. And that, not, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, "Children, have you any food?" And they answered him, "No." And he said to them, "Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some." So they cast, and now they were not able. To draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, "It is the Lord." And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer he put off, he put on his outer garment for he had removed it, and he plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about two hundred cubits, dragging the net with fish. Then, as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it, and bread. And Jesus said to them, "Bring some of the fish which you have just caught." And Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to the land, full of large fish, one hundred and fifty-three. Although there were so many, the net was was not broken. And Jesus said to them, "Come, eat breakfast." And then. Flipping over to Acts chapter four, verse eleven, Peter is speaking, and he says, "Now, this is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved." Verse thirteen. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marvelled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Father, we come before you this evening, and in so many ways, we're we're thankful. I'm grateful. I'm thankful today, Lord, just for where you've brought me. And I'm sure that those who are who are in this room, we, when we take the time, we certainly can count 
the many ways in which you have blessed us, which you have kept us, which you have brought us, which you have provided for us, which you have guided us, Lord. And so, Lord, we are grateful. Lord, we're on the end of a year, the beginning of a new year. And I read from statistics that for many, this, this season of the year is the most depressing time of year. And so, Lord, I pray for all of us, whether we find ourselves full of gratitude or whether we find ourselves in a state of questioning, in the state of anxiety, in the state of depression as we look forward into the new year. Lord, I I just pray that you will use this word to encourage, to speak, to be that guide that the word of God always is. We commit it to you. We commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, someone told me when we were in the process of leaving Africa after being there for 14 years and coming back here, this was a missionary, and he said to me, he said, so Craig, are you ready to be a nobody? And, <laughs> and you know, when I, when I sat and talked with him, I was, we were in Uganda somewhere. I was like, what do you mean? And, you know, since being back, I realized that in many ways what he said was so true. Because when you're a missionary, you're a somebody, you know, you're someone that's somewhat unique and you're doing something that not a lot of other people are doing and so people are somewhat interested. But then you come back here and you're surrounded by a whole lot of people who are doing a whole lot of great things and all of a sudden that uniqueness that you used to have is no longer there. And, you know, I've been having this this personal conversation with God about my my wives and my role here when you've been doing something for so long and you and you're you come back and you're starting all over again there are in many ways we feel so incapable you know for myself i can't speak for my wife but for myself living in one place for 32 years you get you get accustomed to the way things are you you feel like you know your way around. You feel like you know where the needs are. You feel capable of stepping in and doing something about them. But ministry there is very different than ministry here. And so I have to be honest, it's been, it hasn't been easy starting life, in a sense, all over again here. And certainly that's not to, to make you feel sorry for me whatsoever. It, it speaks to what I feel is the message, or one of the messages of this passage. And as I was thinking about what I, could, what I could share, what I should share, I was thinking about the whole idea of entering into a new year. You know, for some, a new year 
is significant. For others, it's just another day and they don't really bother about it. But to me, it is significant because it presents an opportunity. The Bible says that God's grace is new every morning. Each day is an opportunity for us to to set the reset button. Each day is an opportunity to come before the Lord and for whatever we've done, to confess, to find forgiveness, to renew that relationship that we have with him, to renew that opportunity of, of his grace to flow into our life. And in the same way that God gives us days, he gives us seasons, even years, as landmarks, as significant moments to remember, to consider, to take stock, and if need be, to set the reset button. And you know, here we are at the end of a year, anticipating a new year, and it's a good time, a good time to open our lives, our hearts, to Jesus, to allow him to speak into our life, a good time to take stock of our spiritual lives and make some decisions about our relationship with Jesus. You know, we, we meet as staff on Wednesday mornings, and I was just encouraging all of them, including myself, to not let Christmas time become, which is a holiday, but to be an excuse to take a holiday from, from Jesus. But to use it as a time to be quiet, to contemplate, and to allow him to speak to us about our own lives, our service, our relationship to him. And the idea of that relationship is what I want to share this evening. It's, and it's really what the Lord has been kind of reteaching me over these past few months. And so the title of my message is For Jesus or With Jesus. What is your relationship to him? John chapter 21 Verses 1 and 2 say, After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at Tiberias, and in this way he showed himself. Simon Peter Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Now, first of all, let me see if I can... You know what? I can't even read what that says up there. Into the mind of Peter. Perfect. Um, let's remember who Peter was. Think back in your mind to the various verses that we have in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that kind of encapsulate who the man Peter was during his time of being a disciple with Jesus. He was the man that said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, Matthew 16, verse 6. He was the one who said, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. Matthew 6, 
Matthew 26, 35 and Mark 14, verse 31. He was the man who said, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Luke chapter 22, verse 22. From all that, we, we can surmise that without, I believe, taking, going outside of the context of Scripture, we can surmise that Peter was like many of us. He was zealous. He was self-confident. He was precocious. He was a follower of Christ who had the idea that, God, you're fortunate to have me on your staff. That, honestly, I believe was, was Peter's thinking. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, that's the way we think a lot of times, too. We take stock of our personal abilities, our attributes, our resources, and we say, God, you're lucky I'm on your side. You really need me. With my zeal, with my voice, with my speaking talent, with my abilities, with my connections, God, you and me can go far. You know, I remember, you know, I, I, I grew up on the mission field. My, my grandparents on both sides were in, were in Christian ministry. And so I kind of had a big shadow of reputation that kind of hung over me in my early life. And whether it was God or whether it was myself, I had this, this unction in myself that I'm going to serve the Lord. And I remember when my dad died and I was 16 years old and I flew up to the village where we were living and I made this promise to my dad as he was being buried. I was, I'm going to serve the Lord and I'm going to continue the work that you started in Africa. And at that time, I can't say it was a desire driven by God. It was more of a, a personal determination. That's who I am. That's my identity. And I remember leaving Africa in 1986. I graduated from a high school there. I came back, went to Cal Poly, studied agriculture and ag development and those kinds of trades which would help me in doing development work overseas. I found my wife who, while she never in her life said she wanted to go to Africa, she was a very missionary-minded woman. She spoke Spanish, and I thought, this is the kind of woman that will go with me where the Lord leads us. And I remember about a month before I graduated in 1992, we were set to go into the Peace Corps. And I was graduating in my degree in agroforestry. She was a bilingual teacher, and we were going to go to Papua New Guinea. And about a, a week and a half before I graduated, we found out that she was pregnant. And we went to the Peace Corps office, and they said, we can't take you. And I remember just being absolutely crushed because that zeal 
that desire, that identity that I thought was driven to do a good thing for the Lord, it's as if that was cut off. And all of a sudden, I found myself, well, who am I? What, what good am I to God? If, I, if I'm not the missionary kid, the son of Don Lindquist, grandson of Alan Redpath, and I'm not serving the Lord, what good am I? And I remember it put me into a slide where I had to do some very deep soul searching. And at the end of it, I'm just, I'm grateful and I'm thankful because through that, the Lord revealed a huge pride in me. It was as if if the Lord was telling me, Craig, your whole identity isn't wrapped up in who you are to me. It's who you are to yourself and how you portray yourself to other people. And I remember him revealing that to me through the word, through scripture. And my wife being pregnant and the realization that I was going to have to really provide for not only my wife, but a family in the very near future got me very serious about looking for a job. And the Lord ended up opening a job for us in San Jose. And I remember my mom at the time lived in San Mateo. Um, and I remember driving through San Jose on the way to school, Cal Poly, every quarter. And all I remember of San Jose is I, I never want to live in that place. It, just, <laughs> it was a lot different than it is now. But it, I just, and then wouldn't you know that of all the places that the Lord takes us to live, it was, it was San Jose, that very place where I didn't want to go. But even as I didn't want to go there, I knew that that's where the Lord was calling me to go. And it was through that that not only did I have a job there, but we ended up getting involved in a church that Don McClure was the pastor of, and Don McClure was instrumental in getting us into ministry, and it was through that ministry that we ended up going back to Africa. But all that to say that I've, I've had this attitude of Peter in me. And I think that honestly, honestly, as Christians, if we're, if, if we're true to ourselves, we all kind of have that attitude with the Lord. Our identity is not so much wrapped up in, in our relationship with Jesus, but in what we can do for Jesus. I think that was Peter's identity. That's who Peter was. Now we get to verse chapter 21 and and we get to who Peter is at this moment. In verse 3, it says that, or verse 2, it says they were together. You can imagine that their minds were blown. They had been with Jesus for three years, all of a sudden, a catastrophe. He's arrested. They run away. He's crucified. There's, he rose again. And I'm sure that 
reality hadn't, hadn't come home to them. But here they are alone together. And Peter says, I'm going fishing. So Peter was this very sure of himself, very zealous, very self-confident, precocious man. And I imagine now he's, he's much the opposite. Remember that shortly before Jesus died, Jesus rebuked him for falling to sleep when he should have been praying. Remember that he was the one that cut Malchus's ear and he was rebuked by Jesus for doing that. Remember that he was one of the disciples who ran away in fear when Jesus was arrested. And not only that, it was him that we know denied Jesus not once, not twice, but, but three times in the temple court. And so if I put myself in Peter's shoes at this point in time, I have to think that Peter is massively disillusioned. He's uncertain about what he's believing. He's scared about his future. And he's depressed about his life. I wonder how many of us, and I know that there's not so many of us, but the fact is that there are many people who come to the end of the year and who come into the Christmas season, and that's exactly where they are. They think back on the year, and they're disillusioned about what didn't happen. They're uncertain as to their relationship with God. Who is he to me? They're scared about what the future holds for them. And they're overall depressed about their life. You know, I'm told that depression is on the rise. And I don't know what percentage, but it's a huge percentage of people are on antidepressants. And so we know that what may have been what may have been something that Peter was dealing with is something that I believe many of us may find ourselves in the same, in the same situation. But this brings me to my first lesson, which is without Christ, we can do nothing. Verse three, Peter says, Simon Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. You know, I don't know exactly how those words were said, but I kind of imagine all the disciples kind of sitting together, kind of confused, kind of disgruntled, kind of anxious, wondering, and Peter being his presumptuous self maybe feels the pressure to be the leader that he once was. And finally, kind of in a disgruntled way, he says, well, I don't know about you, but I'm going to go fishing. What's Peter saying? The way I imagine it is this is what's going in through Peter's mind. I'm a failure at following Jesus. So I'm going to go back and do what I know how to do. I've tried... Christianity. I've tried following Jesus, 
and I failed. Now I'm going to go back to doing, I'm going to go back to doing what I know how to do, what I know how to do. And so off he goes. Again, I think back on the lesson that the Lord taught me in those early years. I remember after working for seven years in the company that I worked in in San Jose and I was at the church, going to the church, eventually becoming an elder of the church. And then came the day when Don's, Don McClure, Rob was actually there at the time, and Don McClure said, Craig, do you want to come on staff? And, you know, immediately, it was one of those things where I knew the answer was going to be yes. I knew I had to pray for s- several days, but I knew this was God calling me into ministry. And, you know, I had these visions of what ministry was going to be. I was going to be sitting at a table, reading my Bible, day after day, in prayer, counseling people, and I just had this very rosy picture of what ministry was like. (laughs) I don't know where I got that, because I'd seen my parents, and I'd seen how hard ministry was, but I I just kind of had this very romantic notion. And I thought, again, obviously I hadn't been broken the first time, again, God, I'm going to be great at this. You just wait until you see what I can do for you. And I'll never forget, I get in and I entered into probably the three hardest years of my life. And I know that you've heard stories from Rob, but I, I love Pastor Don as a father. He is a father. Yeah, I think he kind of adopted me because ever since my father died, um, he was mentored by my grandfather and he kind of just adopted me as a as a son, which isn't always good. You know, fathers treat their sons in a special way, but also in a special way. (laughs) Um, But in any case, he was also one of the hardest men I've ever worked for. He had extremely high standards for himself, and he expected everyone else to have those very high standards. And I wasn't but about nine months into this when I thought, I just can't do this. I'm not cut out for this. I, I can't do ministry. It's not what I, what I thought. And I remember going to him, and I just said, Don, you know what? I feel like I'm just a burden. I feel like I'm not doing anything right. And if you want to fire me, just go ahead and fire me, because I'll just go back and do what I know how to do. <laughs> and he just looked at me, and he smiled, and we had a conversation, and obviously I didn't quit. I, I, I continued on. But again, I, I, I kind of relate to where Peter is at at this point. A moment in life where you just feel like, you know what, Lord, I'm done. I just want to go back to doing what I know, what I'm sure about doing. The amazing thing about the story is, is that even though Peter wanted to go back to doing what he thought he was good at, he was frustrated in that as well. Verse 3 says, they said to him, we're going with you. And so they went out and immediately got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. You know, there's nothing in the Bible that is, that is not there for a purpose. And I'm sure the fact that Peter, in his frustration, desiring to go back to what he thought he knew how to do, would go back and try to do it and be frustrated at even doing that. 
And he came to the realization, probably, that he couldn't go back. The very thing that he thought he was good at, he couldn't do. I'm sure that's what he was thinking. He had been following Christ for three years. Jesus had gotten a hold of his life. He had the Holy Spirit. He was saved. But you see, Peter was caught in a lesson that Jesus was trying to teach him. And there was a lesson that he learned that I I think is a lesson that at some point in our life we all need to learn. And if we don't learn it the first time, we'll we'll have to relearn it. And that is that a Christian who tries to serve God in his own capacity, in his own strength, in his own wisdom, will only be met with failure as he is confronted with his own shortcomings. I think for three years, Peter had really been serving Jesus in his own strength. He really hadn't learned the lesson that Jesus wanted him to learn. But on the other side, a Christian who tries to run from God and do whatever he wants to do will only be met with disillusionment and dissatisfaction. My grandfather, Alan Redpath, said, There is no one more miserable than a man who has at once been saved by God, but who is attempting to run from the will of God. There is no man more miserable who has at once been saved by God, but who is attempting to run from the will of God. Someone who's tasted of the Lord, someone who's tasted of the goodness, of the grace, of the mercy, is spoiled, in a sense, for the world. It's so hard for them to go back to the world and enjoy the world because not only is there guilt, that the Holy Spirit, that conviction that the Holy Spirit brings, but there's always that realization that I'm not really doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And Jesus was simply teaching Peter the truth of John 15, 15, for without me, you can do nothing. This is the lesson that Peter was in at the moment. That's a lesson that I believe we all need to learn. We're so, today, in today's day and age, we're, we, and we are surrounded by so many talented people, brilliant people. And on the one hand, we admire abilities and talents that individuals have. But at the same time, we need to realize that We don't need, that God doesn't need our greatness in order for us to be great servants for him. And that brings us to the second lesson that I see in this passage. And that is obedience to Christ's word is the beginning of fruitful service. 
We go on from in verse 4. They caught nothing, but when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. You know, Jesus, I mean, Peter was a professional fisherman. And certainly you would think that he would know his trade, the right time to fish, the right place to fish, the right nets to use, how to cast the net. But now he's sitting there this morning, frustrated, thinking that the very thing I know how to do, I can't even do that. Maybe he's cleaning his net, muttering to himself, what am I going to do with my life? I can't believe I didn't catch any fish. And then he hears this voice that I'm sure as he heard it, it took him back to an earlier time in his life. In Luke chapter 5, verse 5. Be actually, just beginning in Luke chapter 5, it says, So it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and he saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitude from the boat. And when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Verse 5, but, Peter, but Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So here we are three years later. Peter has just had a similar night of frustrating fishing. Again, he hears the voice, cast out your net on the other side. And I'm sure his first reaction was to Maybe shout back at this guy. Who do you think you are? Don't you know I'm a fisherman? Don't you know what I, that I know what I, I'm supposed to do? But he recognizes the voice. And he's obedient to the voice. And it says they cast and they were not able to draw it because of the multitude of fish. The simple thing that Peter did was obedience. Obedience to the simple word of Christ was the beginning of fruitful work, of fruitful service. It was at the beginning three years ago in Peter's life. It was now. This was an object lesson for Peter. Peter what is it that really brings fruit? It's, it's not toiling. It's not all these other things. It's obedience to the word of God. You might feel lost in your Christian life. You might feel like you're so far away from that place 
where you last heard from the Lord. You might feel so confused as to, God, what next? I feel like I'm so out of your will. I'm, I feel like I'm so far from your will. I feel like I've gone so long without consulting you. To the point where you're discouraged to even ask the Lord. And you say, what's next? Peter was in a similar situation. And what was, what was the solution? It was obedience to the word of Christ. And if you find yourself in that situation tonight where you're confused, you're bewildered, you're depressed, and you're wondering, Lord, how can I ever get back into right relationship, fruitful service? Where does that start? It starts simply in being obedient to the word of God in your life. That's the wonderful truth. That's the wonderful simplicity. Whether it's in regards to your marriage, are you being obedient in regard to your relationship with your husband or wife? Are you being obedient in regard to how you're parenting your children? Are you being obedient in terms of being truthful before God? Are you being obedient in regard to how the Bible tells us to be employees or employers in the community? Fruitful service starts with simple obedience. Cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast and they were not able to draw it in. You know, our Christianity is not so complicated. It's a relationship with a God who loves us and who's not demanding that we do anything other than desire a relationship with him and our obedience is simply showing our love to him. And so we come to The third lesson, verses 7 through 9. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and he plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. And as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire and coals and fish laid on it. You know, upon hearing this, immediately Peter is transported. He, he knows this is the Lord, and it, he hops out of the boat. Remember back to the story of Peter walking on the water. I don't know if this was a show on Peter's part to, to again prove to the Lord what a zealous follower he was, maybe to reprove his love to Jesus, to reprove his faithfulness, to maybe try to impress Jesus that his faith was back. I don't know. But he leaves the disciples to do the work of pulling the fish up on the shore. But the the interesting thing here, and it's, again, no word of scripture is in here without a purpose. It says, verse 9, then as soon as they came to land, they saw a fire of coals and fish laid upon it and bread. Remember Jesus' words to the disciples at the beginning. Do you have any food? 
And they said no. And they go through all the work of pulling up the fish and they get to shore. And what does Jesus have there? He has the fish already. An MRE, a meal ready to eat. (laughs) I think it's interesting that so many who claim belief in God doubt so many of the things he said he did. They doubt the literal creation in seven days. They doubt the flood. They doubt the story of Jonah. They doubt the parting of the Red Sea. They doubt the virgin birth. They doubt the resurrection. And yet... They claim belief in God. And then they doubt that God can do his work apart from themselves or apart from what is explainable or understandable to the human mind. What a small God they claim to have such great faith in. I think of what God told Mary, for with God nothing will be impossible when he told her of how the Messiah would be conceived in her womb. What was Peter's problem? He had too small a view of God and too great an opinion of himself. He thought that he was Jesus' greatest asset. He, he was so full of himself, he had this opinion that Jesus really needed him. And this little object lesson, which, which is what it was, the fact that the first thing he sees when he gets to shore after pulling all these fish is that Jesus already had fish. He didn't need what Peter was bringing. I'm sure this immediately kind of hit something home in Peter's mind as he looks at Jesus. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need my fish so that we could have breakfast to eat. He doesn't need my fishing skills to get the fish. He doesn't need my sword to protect him from the soldiers. He doesn't need my courage as a bodyguard to keep him alive. Jesus doesn't need me. How easy it is for all of us to fall us to fall into the trap of at once being thrilled and excited and zealous about the idea of doing God's work. But in our doing it, we deconstruct it to the point that all it is is our work, our effort. We need to understand that God doesn't need us. Christ does not need our good effort efforts. He doesn't need us to be great in order to use us. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 18 through 26. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. Verse 20, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of the world, the world through its wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. And then verse 26, 
For you see your calling, brethren, that not many were wise, not many were mighty, not many were noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things and the things which are despised, God has chosen. That no flesh should glory in his presence. God does not need us, but the next lesson is God wants our participation. God takes our obedient service and uses it. I love what, what the scripture goes on to say here. And what an intimate scene this is. You know, this is just such a real scene where these little details are brought out for us. The fact that Peter gets to the shore and he notices that Jesus already had the fish. But look at what, and then notice what Jesus says. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have caught. And so what we see here is is that while Jesus had everything that he needed to feed them, he took some of what they had to make the meal which they would enjoy together. You can't help but read that story and think back to the parable of the five loaves and two fish in Matthew chapter 14. It says, when it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, this is a deserted place and the hour is late. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the village and buy themselves food. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. And he said to them, bring them here to me. And he commanded the multitudes to sit down And he took the five loaves and the two fish and he blessed and he broke and he gave it to the disciples and the disciples gave it to the multitudes. Do you see this picture of a God who has the ability to just snap his fingers and bring an end, a solution to this, to the problem that they had, but he chose to work through human organs He chose to work through what was available. He resisted the temptation to just say, like the disciples said, send them away um, so that they can give something to eat. No, I can give them something to eat and just provide the food. He, He didn't do that. He said, you give them something to eat, which speaks to us that he wants our participation in the work that he wants us to do here on earth. He wants you and I to join with him, with him. And he wants us to bring what we have to him. Bring them to me. And then he broke and he multiplied and he gave it back. And it was the disciples who distributed the food. So much important lesson for us to learn. While God doesn't need it, need us, he doesn't need our intellect. He doesn't need our strength. He doesn't need our ability. He doesn't need our charisma. It's not like he's negating those things. He's given it to us. He's given a, he's made us 
in his image. He's created us uniquely. He's fashioned us. And so obviously in the very ways that he's fashioned us, he wants us to glorify him through those very attributes that he has put in us. But he wants us to simply realize that it's not us on our own. He wants us to bring those things to him, to put them into his hands, to allow him to bless them. And in participation with him to meet the need of the world that we are in. That's ministry. Christ takes our obedient service and uses it. Christ takes our efforts that are done in obedience to his word and in faith and he uses them. You know, we serve a pastor who's uniquely talented in ways I've seen few other pastors. I've, you know, served in different churches. I've been around a lot of other pastors and I have great admiration for Pastor Rob because he's unique. Not many other pastors have the ability that he has to do what he does. But at the same time, we're not all called to be Pastor Rob, are we? We are. <laughs> thank God. <laughs> I won't say you said that, right? <laughs> we're all uniquely talented. And we shouldn't compare ourselves to Pastor Rob or any pastor and say, well, I guess I don't measure up to him. Therefore, I must not be useful in the kingdom of God. Remember what Paul says in Corinthians. He says there, remember your calling that not many were wise, not many were mighty, not many were noble, but God has chosen the foolish things. And how wonderful it is, on the one hand, to be thankful for the giftings and talents that God has given us, but on the other hand, to realize that God is not limited by our lack. Right? God is not limited by my lack of resources. He's not limited by my lack of ability. He simply wants us to bring what we have to him and in his hands to use them for the work that he wants to do in this world and he wants to bring us into that that's what's so cool about Christian ministry and then the last lesson that we see here is ultimately what it's all about it's all about fellowship Again, such an intimate scene in this, in this passage. Verse 11, Simon Peter went up and dragged the net full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was, was not broken. And Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. To me, when I read that, it just brings a vivid illustration of the relationship that Jesus wants to have with us as he calls us to the work that he wants to do. There's no question that Jesus is calling P- 
Peter. He's through the course of this interaction, he's teaching him lessons. He's calling him back into fruitful service, but it's not a service of Peter. You messed up. I'm going to correct you. And then you're going to go. It's come learn what ministry is. Let's have breakfast together. It's fellowship. Going over to the passage that I read in the book of Acts. It says, after Peter preached it, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained, they marveled and they realized they had been with Jesus. You know, I can honestly say that the lesson that God has had to teach me and is teaching me is, is that my value before the Lord is not based on what I do for Jesus. And I'm the type of person that, like Peter, I gravitate towards, I want to chalk up a checklist of things done for the Lord. And I know that if I pulled the men in this room, you would probably find yourself in that same kind of thinking. Our identity, our worth is so based upon what we do for the Lord. But what I see in this passage is that before Jesus wants before Jesus wants us to do something for him, he wants us to enjoy being with him. And that's what fellowship is. Fellowship is a simple word that means in participation with. Christ wants to be in fellowship with us. He wants to participate with us through life. And in that participation, we will find joy. In that participation, we will find strength. We will find fruitfulness. We will find purpose. We certainly won't end up, as Peter was at the beginning of the passage, feeling like we failed God. Like we're worthless to God, like we have no purpose, like we got to go back to doing what we thought we knew how to do because God doesn't have any use for me anymore because I'm not the great fisherman I used to be. Through this whole ordeal, Jesus is teaching Peter and teaching us what this relationship is. It's a with relationship. And I'm not sure where you are as you end this year. Maybe you feel like Peter. Maybe you feel disillusioned. Maybe you're disappointed. And ultimately, all that brings you back to your relationship with the Lord. And you're asking him, Lord, why? I did all this for you. I thought I was serving you. And maybe you, like me, need to be reminded this evening that before he wants us to do for him he wants us to be with him 
He wants us to enjoy breakfast with him. 